episode 142 above ground podcast recipes with guest laura depolito disclaimer the host of this podcast timothy patrick and will foley are by no means medical professionals however having lived experience with mental illness themselves they have gained useful perspectives on common mental health issues that some of us struggle to overcome on a daily basis by sharing their stories they hope to create connection by creating connection they hope to help you find your purpose and through purpose we can all begin to build the foundation for positive mental health. This is Above Ground Podcast. Are you ready to lace up your boots, throw up your horns, and jump into the pit? Then let's stomp the stigmas of mental illness. It's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now, Will Foley and Timothy Patrick. Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast. Because you can't serve below. There he is. There's my buddy, TPP. What's up, TPP? How we doing tonight, buddy? Uh, We're doing. We're doing all right. Ah, dude, I think you need some paddles. You need the jump start. (laughs) Uh, I get it, though, man. It's tough out there. It's always a wet day today. It's cold. It's Little uh, and we're doing something a little different tonight. It's a Friday night that we're actually recording this, which is an odd night for us. But we have okay, I'm gonna kill this Laura da Polito, right? Really close, really okay. close. All right, I'm sorry. No, La- I said Laura D, D is D. fine. Laura D. Laura D. I but I feel so bad because I, I love you and Jim. I love you both. Aww, so it's like, and I feel sweet. bad like be, butchering name. It's uh, Depolito. It's hard. The, Ah, DePolito. That's what, okay. All right, DePolito. And she is a licensed clinical social worker with more than 25 years experience in the field. And she is way more than that. And I don't even want to waste time because I really want to get into talking to Laura tonight about, uh, Timmy and I are really interested in this one because she wants to cover a couple different things. So Laura, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. How are you this evening? I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Most people invite Jim places. So to be invited is special. Ah, yeah. Well, Jim, Jim is a special dude. And now if anybody's listening, Jim is the proprietor owner, however you want to describe it. He is the all-encompassing Nippertown. Uh, guru. He controls the, he is the wizard of Oz pretty much. (laughs) And he's a great dude. And we got to meet Laura this year uh, for the first time. And when we spoke to her, uh, she had was super stoked about coming on the podcast. So it's, it's awesome to have you here and I don't want to take up time. Jim gets all the kudos that he needs to get himself. It's time to give you a little kudos. (laughs) Well, we co-own Nippertown, but Jim is an extrovert and okay. I tend to be more of an energy goes in person. So, yeah. I like that you clarified that. Thank you. See, we're, yeah. we're getting to real truths here on Above Ground Podcast, <laughs> which is which is important, which is important. But the most important thing is the work that you do. And you have you wear a lot of different hats. And I, I want you to tell everyone out there what it is you do and why you do it. 
So I have been practicing as a mental health provider for 25 years. I started doing trauma work actually in the violence against women field uh, 25 years ago. It was what I was most interested in. And I quickly met the children in the DV shelters and the children who were sexual trauma survivors. And I fell in love with little kids and doing pediatric work. So I work for a local school district that I will not name um, that has been very innovative in the last 15 years. They've allowed me to develop a day treatment program for little guys with mental illness. And now they're allowing me to do therapy for children and their families. Uh, outpatient therapy. So I've also worked in admissions at a local hospital, a psych hospital, and I work at a clinic providing therapy. Um, so I'm a healer. I believe in hope as a tool to heal. And uh, I say that all the time to people that, you know, hope is the ultimate tool. It's what keeps us going and keeps us paddling. So, yeah. So why do I do it? I do it because I believe I have a, a mission. I was born with a calling. My mom is a social worker. Um, the women in my family have been healers um, and were helpers. And I don't really think I could get through my own days without feeling like I had connection and interconnection with others. So that's why I do it. It's interesting that you speak of connection and, and, and that connection drives you to do what you do. And the fact that you come from a family of healers, and I'm interested to know, as a child, were you intuitive to that? Was that something that was just, was it something that was actually offered to you or was it something that they did and you just happened to understand that it was something they did or was it talked about or anything like that? That's a really interesting question, Will. No one's ever asked me that. Um, it's kind of weird that no one's ever asked me that. I did not really want to go into this field. I wanted to be a veterinarian. People know me personally, know that I really have a love for animals and um, I raise chickens and golden retrievers. Um, but if you have paws or a wet nose, there's a good chance uh, and you need help, I'll still help you, even though I'm not trained. Um, but I, I really wanted to work with animals. And my mom was a helper and I really wasn't interested in psychology or the field. My father passed away when I was 18, about a week before my 19th birthday, very suddenly. And I had a period in my life where at first I called it like a spiritual sickness. I felt like my soul had gotten sick. But what I know now is that I had depression. Um, I had complicated grief that went untreated, even though I came from a family of healers and um, people didn't know how to help me, you know, and I remember um, thinking my soul is dying. I remember thinking that like this um, horrible opening up and, 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 and ending feeling and the sadness and the low energy. And I met a series of really good healers and clinicians who kept saying to me, you know, you could do this. You could help other people. Meanwhile, I'm like swimming around in a pool of, of sadness and anger and shame. So I, I got really interested in helping um, in the domestic violence field and the violence against women field because of my political activism. And I really did not connect with what my mom was doing or what other people were doing. Like I actually was trying really hard in my family to be like, no, but what I do is different. They're like really touchy-feely. I'm like really not. And now I realize that it's kind of organic to our values and our family system that we exist to help others and, and that we our service is a way that we show our faith and our belief system. But so it kind of was this weird, thank you for asking. No one's even, I don't think Jim's even ever asked me that. Um, but so it was kind of this weird pathway that I resisted. <laughs> and if I hadn't suffered that loss and that intense sadness, I don't know if I would have understood how important connection is and reconnecting to self and sources. 
So I don't know if I ever would have found this. I might be out in a field birthing cows somewhere. I don't know. Well, you are a nature person and you said that. So obviously you feel very comfortable in nature. So that obviously goes to show why you started to gravitate towards veterinary medicine. You kind of posed an interesting thought to me that actually prompted a question. So as a healer, do you think it's actually harder for healers to recognize depression because they're so used to being the healer and they're so used to not thinking about their own personal feelings oftentimes do you think that there's an uh, there's an a tendency to ignore their own personal feelings and maybe that's happened to you i'm sure because obviously yeah. therapists and people in the field of healing are overworked oftentimes now yeah i mean i think it's tempting I, i'll say this though about that that most people I know, most of my colleagues that I love, uh, we take really good care of each other. So when we're going through a hard time, even if we don't see it in ourselves, like I really have a few colleagues I very much trust. And when I'm going through a hard time, I feel like I can go to them. You know, the first question you ask yourself um, doing this kind of work every day is where are you at? And are you ready to do this work? And if you're not, you better be honest with yourself because you can do a lot of harm. Um, by bringing your own issues into the room. So um, you got to check yourself all the time. I stay involved in therapy for myself so that I'm well. I do supervision where I talk to another clinician about my cases. Um, But yeah, it's hard. I think I think it's hard for everyone to own their own depression when it's happening. You know, I think it's, it's mirrors that help, you know, and I have a really good friend who's been a therapist for a, a bit longer than me. I like to t- tell people he's my oldest friend and he's like, she means years, not like years we've known each other, not like he's the oldest man alive, you know, um, he's a great therapist. Terrell Ashby is also a musician. Um, do you know Terrell? Uh, he's been on the show. We've- yeah, we've had he was on actually one of he was actually one of our first interviews. <laughs> oh, that's super cool. So Terrell's one of my oldest friends and he's one of my most honest friends. So, you know, I can't hide from him. We probably text a few times a week just checking in. Um, and, and I do think being a helper, being in the helping profession, seeing myself as a healer and wanting to heal and do that work, you have to always start with knowing where you're at, you know, and self-care and really tuning in um, and being honest with yourself hard, hard thing. You know, that's what makes the job unique. <laughs> Can't go in and have a bad day. Well, right. And you were talking about self-care and I, I, I know Timmy's, yeah. Timmy's interested in self-care and interested in a lot of the things that we're talking about. So I'm kind of curious to see where he's at. Immediately was thinking, how does she, you know, uh, involve herself with self-care, you know, what would be the best tools for yourself? Like what do you do or what, what, what works for you? So I'll share if you'll share, because I think we get our best ideas about self-care from each other. Is that fair? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. We're all about sharing. Sharing's caring yeah. here at Above Ground Podcast. <laughs> all right, cool. Um, so I practice yoga daily. Um, it drives Jim, I think, crazy because I can't go to bed without practicing yoga. And I start each day with mindful meditation. And he's like, really? This early in the morning. Um, I love being outside. So I have a thing that I used to say to my children, the sky above and the earth below will heal you. So, um, you know, when I'm really upset, I'm not in a house, I'm not in a building. I don't care how cold it is out or how hot it is out. I take my shoes off and put my feet on the earth. Um, so those are, those are like literally grounding things that I do every day. 
um, that are routines, but a big part of self-care for me is having boundaries around knowing relationships with people, what I'm comfortable with and what I'm not. And I decide a lot of times before I get into a situation, what I'm comfortable with. So I'm not comfortable, for example, staying out late at night. Um, I don't drink or use uh, at all because it's not good for my mental health. Um, or my physical health, but I'm very upfront about it. So when I go out, these are like ways I take care of myself. Um, I try to make sure I exercise three times a week doing something silly and fun, like Zumba class or walking the dogs to like Madonna music, um, which I consider really fun because I sing along and dance as I'm walking. It's a show. Um, and yeah, I love- Madonna, Madonna's Timmy's favorite. <laughs> Do you love Madonna? <laughs> really? Oh. <laughs> No, it just, it just, it just came, it came up the other night. So that's why he's, he's poking me. Um, I also like Prince. I'll listen to old stuff. I mean, I love Brandy Carlisle and folk music, but like if I need like that self-care and then probably the last thing I do that's self-care that's really important to me um, is I love to cook. I love to hold food. I love to chop it up. I love to feed other people. Tonight I made chicken pot pie from scratch um, and I, I enjoyed cooking it as much as I enjoyed watching Jim and Ashton eat it. Um, that was really fun for me is like to pull it together and to know that in an hour I gave someone something that I made with my hands. So what do you do for self-care? What are your things? I guess I would say it's, it's like a cross between like, I do some stretches and and breathing in the morning. Um, on occasion, I used to do it daily. Um, the tapping, the EFT, um, I used to do that daily. Um, I kind of do that uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe once a week now, kind of, because it's, I can kind of do it anywhere. You know what I mean? If like, if I'm feeling, you know, above baseline and, um, but as you said, for, I don't, I, I kind of keep a a healthy uh, sleep routine and, um, I don't stay out late and I don't involve myself with any kind of, uh, drugs or alcohol. You know, I think I just, again, you know, not to kind of steal from you, but I I know, I know my boundaries and I try to uh, assess my body, you know, at least once a day, um, just kind of from, you know, head to toe. And um, I've recently kind of been doing this thing where if I do feel super anxious and my anxiety is kind of taking over, I, I just clench up my whole body and like um, my fists and just hold it for like 10 seconds and just let go and do a couple deep breaths. And, um, you know, again, just scan the body after that process. And it, um, you know, just checking in, checking in with myself, I guess is, is, is a good way to kind of sum all that stuff up. I love that. That, that is like the yummiest sensation after you, <laughs> and you release, isn't it though? Like, yeah. and, and you know, you can tell I work with really little kids the last few years because of my language choice, but like when we would do it, they would be like, we would even like contort our faces and make them really tight. And then when you let go, they're like, Oh, Ms. D I feel it just so yummy. I'm like, it does. It's like delicious. Like the yeah. feeling that comes over you. No, I like those ideas. I love tapping. I'm so excited to hear that people still use tapping. I use tapping for a long time in my practice. It's it's really great for anxiety. It's really great. It is. It it is. I was, I was surprised and I didn't know about it. It's, you know, maybe, I don't know, four or five years, maybe. Um, so that's when I, my therapist actually brought it to my attention. And, um, once I started to do it regularly and I was actually in that, um, mode of, of, doing it routinely 
it was, uh, I, I, I honestly can say that I could tell a, a difference even right after doing it or, or in throughout the process, I could just feel it's almost like, uh, you know, just like you're letting out that breath. It's that, it's that yummy feeling, I guess. Yeah. Now I got certified in it a few years ago. Will, do you oh, tap? Have you ever done the tapping? I saw you were doing this. So I know. Yeah. You know about Timmy, that. Timmy actually, Timmy actually, uh, got me interested in tapping. And then I bought, I actually got the tapping solution book that they wrote and I, I know where to tap. Um, my acupuncturist recently told me that I should probably bring it back in too, because it would help. Um, I actually, I see an acupuncturist every four to five weeks for chronic pain and for my mental health. Um, my, my acupuncturist, Greg St. Clair from St. Clair family acupuncture in Clinton park is an oriental medicine doctor. And he is also like actually one of the coolest people for me to talk to because him and I really get along and, and I have that same, like, I, I really gravitate towards Buddhism and, and Taoism and, and this, those spiritual traditions. Um, I like you, Laura, I love to ground. I actually, my front lawn, I usually walk with barefoot. You know, I walk the whole perimeter a few times almost a few times a week just to ground. Uh, I've never tried it in the winter. So now I'm going to have to actually go put my feet outside in the cold. Cause that would be interesting. Um, I Unle also unleash your inner Wim Hof. That's, that's uh, yeah. Right. You got to stick your face in that cold water. And I understand though, <laughs> I get cold therapy. Like I understand it, but I got to tell you, man, I tried to take cold showers before. And let me tell you two seconds in, you're like, what? Sorry, not me. Um, I also do a set of exercises called the eight silken brocades from Qigong. Uh, there are Qigong, a set of exercises for Qigong that are all internal martial art that works the whole body as far as the spiritual part of it goes. But I did just recently start learning some postures for Hatha yoga because uh, my therapist actually suggested that I do the MBSR the mindfulness-based stress stress reduction class from John Kabat-Zinn. My therapist suggests that I actually do the eight weeks and and learn the program. So I'm starting to learn a few of the postures and and put a little you know thing together. So that's awesome. Yeah, we, know, try, we never, try. We try. We try. You never know what's going to circle back to you. You know, and I, I got certified as a yoga teacher over 20 years ago. My daughter was a tiny little child when I went to get, certif get certified. And um, when I was working with the little kids about eight years ago, a colleague of mine who um, a special ed teacher said to me, what these kids really need is yoga. And I was like, yeah, I'm a certified yoga teacher, but I don't really like people looking at me. I remember saying that to him and he's like, they're children. They're not going to look at you. <laughs> Right? And like, you know, he's right. They barely right. followed me at first. You know, like, um, but, you know, it's interesting. And in all the things we talked about, not one of us said, oh, I really like to watch movies. And I know some of my clients really like to watch movies. And I know a lot of my teenage clients will tell me they go on TikTok to kind of dissociate and disconnect. But sure. what I worry about with that kind of stuff um, is I, at no time in history have we had um, so many ways to be tuned in through technology as we have right now. And um, I don't think it's benefiting people's brain chemistry. We're not set up to just be plugged in all the time. We need to unplug and really connect into each other 
Um, and while this is really fun and I'm enjoying talking with you both this way, you know, I, I, it would be different energy if we were all in the same room. It, it would, it would. And it's, it's crazy. It's funny because I recently, I, I'm, uh, I found, uh, Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith from Agape out in California, like a few, a few years ago, I've come across his teachings and I've read a bunch of, I have a bunch of, I have a couple of his books and I have a few of his audio books. And he says that we have a high tech, low touch society. And it's, it's, it's interesting because I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on that with our children, because I see it in my 10 year old. And when we went through 2020, um, the whole thing with her being home behind a computer screen doesn't work. And, and, and children with, with neuro deficient, with neuro dif differences that can't sit behind a screen. How is, oh, how is this affecting them? And what are we, what are we seeing? And, and, and how are they, how are these little, little guys and gals held, holding up these days? Oh, it's really, really disastrous. And I, I don't think I'm even touching how disastrous by using the word disastrous. Um, one of, there's a few layers to it. You know, one is I think before this happened, when I was going into families' homes at night to do therapy sessions, because that's one of my favorite things to do is sit in living rooms with parents and do therapy sessions with the kids. That's where my heart is. I love seeing the family dynamic. I also really enjoy being part of the family room setting with them and be being trusted in that way. It's very symbolic to me that they're letting me in their homes. Um, but what I noticed is that even the grownups were on their phones while I was there doing family therapy or while their children were trying to connect with them. Now I say grownups, I wanna make sure you understand a lot of the parents are younger. Um, so yeah, so they're, they're, um, they hadn't quite had the opportunity to yet, you know, get through some of their own developmental tasks. So I was patient with them, but at the same time, I was really irritable with them because here their children were longing for connection and touch like you're talking about and really how we co-regulate others in our society um, before we can regulate ourselves, we're co-regulated. If you've had children, they cry, right? And you don't co-regulate them by talking to them. You pick them up and you put their heart against your heart and you rock and you have skin to skin, right? And before even COVID happened, what I saw happening is people weren't attaching in the same physical way because they had these devices between them. And they also were giving children devices when they would have a tantrum to calm them down while they were driving the car, while they were in the grocery store. And, um, you know, I, I would see little uh, three or four-year-olds with iPads playing games in the grocery store and they wouldn't have a tantrum. And a part of me was a little jealous because my daughter had some knockdown drag out tantrums in the grocery store. I'll tell you one time. I hope Madeline, you're listening to this. One time she screamed the entire 45 minutes I was grocery shopping. And afterward, a woman came up to me and said, lady, you got nerves of steel. And I'm like, no, we're hungry. I need to get the food. Um, right. But it was a different time. People, people couldn't do that before. Right. So like Madeline would scream and because she wanted the lollipop. And I was like, sorry, girlfriend, not today. And then she would scream and then it would be awful for 45 minutes, but I would pat her. I would rub her back. I would talk to her. I keep shopping. We'd interact. Right. Now we're, we're not giving kids the opportunity to have these really strong emotions. We're putting technology in their hands and, the, and it does regulate them. It does produce that really cool dopamine response, that instant pleasure. And so they're not learning to self-regulate. So that was happening way before COVID. And then enter COVID where all of the adults were saying before, you know, limit screen time. And now all of a sudden we're like, yeah. all right, 
We can't limit screen time anymore because that's how they get school. That's how they get to their social work. I was doing, I have a YouTube channel of little kids, silly videos of me wearing crazy hats and acting out stories and teaching social skill lessons because it was COVID. I wasn't allowed to go in their homes. Right. Um, if you're ever really bored, this is what my adult children do. They watch it with their friends and mock me. Um, I have very silly videos. Um, please. Don't. I like it. <laughs> I, I, I want to do it with you. Um, there's some yoga on there too. If you're interested in little kid yoga, just focusing on breathing and posture. Um, but then enter COVID and the kids are now doing all this technology. You know, we have kindergartners who now had, I, I talked to one mom and I said, so what were the last three years like for you? We didn't go to preschool. There was another baby born in the house. They were afraid to leave the house. We had one kid come into school, hadn't been out of the house in over two years. And I was like, I get it. I would have done the same thing. But now you've got a kid who doesn't know how to be out in the world, right? And doesn't have that self-regulation because we've been allowing them to use technology to do it. And that connection with other humans wasn't built in. So, you know, I'm finding that kids are really, even older kids, nine and 10th graders um, are needing, you know, to be touched, are needing to learn how to feel their own heartbeat needing to focus on their belly, getting big when they breathe, learning how to be in their human bodies. And, I, you know, when we talked about boundaries earlier in self-care, like one of my boundaries is my phone has to be off a certain number of times of the day so that I can really unplug. Um, this is a hard sell for my significant other. <laughs> because if you know Jim, he lives and dies by Nippertown's social media and Nippertown is a website. So it's constantly on it. And I'm like, dude, this isn't good for you. I'm sorry. Like you got to turn it off. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really dangerous for your ADHD brains if you have ADHD, but even if you don't have an atypical brain, you had mentioned like a atypical brain or like autism or ADHD, but even if you have a normative brain, we've kind of set you up right now for some depression and anxiety. So I, I'm a little concerned about where we're going with technology and kids and adults, to be fair, you know, and, and the adults who had their phones out and their iPads out during sessions, I want to shake them and say, you're missing out because these kids are getting bigger every minute. Teaching social emotional skills is something that New York State is putting a lot of emphasis on in terms of developing a curriculum, to, uh, requesting all school districts complete these sorts of curriculums. But then you have to remember that someone has to teach it, you know, and and I, I love the teachers I work with, but a lot of them will say to me, I'm not really sure how to teach where you feel angry in your body, because maybe for this 28 year old, it's the first time someone's even asked her that question. Did, where yeah, you feel no, angry in your body, you know, and, and I, I, I love when I go in and teach these classes and I see the teachers are, their brains are going on too. Like, I remember that. I remember that feeling when I was younger and kind of reconnecting um, emotion, thought and physical all together and, and understanding how they work. You know, we've really done a disservice by disconnecting people from that, you know, and, and I, I have a lot of heartache about that. I'm glad that I'm serving our community at this time. I, I think I have about 20 more years as a mental health provider and I'm scared where we're going with that. Yeah. I plan to work till I'm 70. <laughs> you, I, this is a podcast. So they didn't just see the two of you both kind of smiled, like there's no way. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think I can make it to 70 and, um, maybe part-time toward the end. My mom still substitutes as a school social worker. And when I say to her, and we're just going to say she's a little older than 70. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. I'm her youngest. And I just, you just heard I'm 50. So, okay. I said to her the other day, like, why do you keep going? It means COVID. You could get COVID. <laughs> 
like you could die. You're kind of in that, like, I hate to point it out to our risk population. And she's like, oh, it's so much fun because like I can hug the kids and, and I'm like, hug the kids. And then I realized she's like co-regulating kids all day long. She'll like go in and I can see her doing it. And my mind's eye, I'm like, this is what she's really good at. And, you know, I, I guess this is the stuff I learned, like, like you learn um, with unconsciously. Right? She's probably, she's probably co-regulating herself doing it. It's probably just as much helpful to her as it is the kids. That's the beauty of it. So that's the trick to being a healer that people don't know is that, and I think you two both somehow have clued into this, that every time I help someone else, it makes me healthier. Um, I feel better about myself. Um, but I also, I feel younger every year doing this work. I don't know how to explain to people. I'm more tapped into my playful creativity. The more time I spend with young people and, you know, sharing that with older people too, um, definitely is a kick. I'd like to keep doing this work. I'd like to just encourage people to be mindful about how technology is in their lives, because thinking about just the eye contact that you have when you talk to someone, it changes how you feel inside to have that kind of connection, how you feel about yourself, how that other pe person experiences you and feels about themselves too. Um, very different than through a screen or through text messages. And text messages are for like, hey, did you get the milk or did you feed the dogs? Um, or what's that address again? Text messages shouldn't be the only way you're saying I love you. In your description about therapy in in the family setting okay you're sitting there these family are disconnected by all being on their devices because you've been in this field a long time do you think it's it's the fact that because you're dealing with parents who are young and they haven't experienced life say like us almost 50 or 50 year olds have that obviously their emotional regulation hasn't happened. Obviously, it seems to me that that is part of the problem, right? That we have people becoming parents too young and they don't yeah. know how to be parents because they don't know how to, they haven't raised themselves yet. Do you think that that's a legitimate problem that could be cause of this connect? Or do you think that maybe they feel some shame? It's a lot more comfortable to have your phone out, right? And if you're nervous right now in society, I talk to teachers about this all the time, we take breaks as grownups by looking at our phones. That's what we do during the school day. Because a lot of teenagers will say, my teacher gets mad at me for looking at the phone. And I'll say, you know, it's disrespectful to the kid. But then to the teacher, I'm like, how often do the day, during the day do you need to take a break from what you're thinking about? And you can come back to it. But, you, you know, we all need mental breaks, especially if we're thinking about something really hard. I'm just going to say that out loud. Everybody, regardless of your age, you need a break. Um, I think having kids young is a disadvantage. I had my kids pretty young. Um, and I look back on the first few years and I was like, whoa, I had a lot of growing to do. And I didn't know I had a lot of growing to do. Um, I think we're all getting kind of addicted to the quick um, technological soothe that comes and haven't remembered that we can sit with a feeling and it will pass. It really will. Um, and I promise this to all of my clients. I'm like, we're going to time it, but you got to stop feeding it, the feeling with your negative thinking. I, you know, 90 seconds to maybe two minutes is what the average uncomfortable feeling lasts if you don't feed it. So, and by feed it, you guys are both nodding, but I'm saying like negative self-talk. So if the uncomfortable feeling is I'm feeling like I want to end my life, I'm going to say that. Okay. And I'm having that. And I, if I keep feeding it with, I don't belong here and that feeling is going to get bigger and take up more space. Right. But if you start to notice you're having that feeling and instead you go, I really love my mom and my dog needs me. 
And it suddenly like your body calms down, your heart rate comes down, your brain chemistry changes, and you might still be having the cognition, but you're able to think more clearly and you're regulated. And I I just think we've all kind of gotten very accustomed to the quick, um, addictive feeling of, of being um, on our phones, being on our iPads, being on the computer. Um, it's a very quick response. You know, I watch kids playing games and they get the response right away. You should see me teaching kids to play board games when they're, they've never played board games at age seven and eight. They're like, this is weird. I'm like, yep, sit tight. We're going to keep going. Um, and I always, I always win because you have to learn to lose is what I tell them. That's the adult I am, you know, um, do you think- <laughs> I'll regulate them. Do you think that, um, and I have to ask this because Will and I have been doing a lot of uh, talking about healing in general. And, you know, one of the things that always kind of pops up in my head is that, you know, there's a lot of people that like to talk about healing, but not a lot of people that want to engage in the process. And I'm wondering if maybe kind of what you were saying is we don't, because let's face it, healing can be ugly and, and dirty and and hurtful, you know, and it can bring up all these different emotions. So do you think that is, is a variable in, in that people don't want to sit with their emotions and they don't want to, you know, sure. look back and try and try and, or look within, I should say. Sure. Sure. I, yeah. I think it's really, it's sad to me how uncomfortable we've gotten with uncomfortable emotions, you know, yeah. that, um, I, I remember reading, it wasn't about this at all. It was about um, people who had survived the Great Depression and that generation and how they, you know, really had more resiliency skills. And I think what it was is they learned that if you sit with it long enough, it changes. Like, I really think that was one of the life lessons. I mean, they got through really horrible things. I'm not minimizing that. Yeah. Um, You know, one of the things that, and and just because we're talking about like, you know, electronics and stuff. and, And one of the things that I always like to to add in is, is that they didn't have that option. So like you said, they built resiliency, but they also, they also were able to sit and think, you know what I mean? So you had great thinkers and you had these ideas on how to come up with things, or you had people that had insight on themselves and could heal, you know, and, and I don't, I think we're lo- that, that part is a, is a dangerous part that we're losing out on. Yeah. Yeah. And healing is itchy and uncomfortable. I always say to the kids, like, itchy. if you have like, well, like if you get a wound is what I say. No, them, you're, I like when it's word. healing, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's not going to kill you uncomfortable. It's not as bad as the initial sore, but it's itchy. Right. And, and um, so that's what I'll always say to like kids is we're going to get you through the depression, um, which is the primary reason I see kids is depression and anxiety, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, I, I have a lot of, um, Recently, I've had a lot of referrals of kids who can't control their behaviors, and then they're living with feeling sad about stuff they did that they regret um, that was hurtful to other humans. And I say to them, that's uncomfortable. Sit with it so you don't do it again. Right. That's what that uncomfortable feeling for. It has a purpose. Don't self-soothe that one. That's one we sit with. And um, knowing kind of how to do that, I I think that's been a lost art because I think what I'm saying to you right now is common sense. But for a lot of humans, when I sit with them, they're like, this is a new idea to me. So I'm like, yeah, it's going to be itchy. I'm a little bit of the self, right? I'm, you sit with me for an hour a week. I can get you feeling a little bit better. I'm going to give you some coping skills. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to be on your side, you know? Um, but you're right. It's, it's having to kind of think it through and own it. 
um, and own your process. And it is uncomfortable. You know, I talked earlier about how I came to social work and how I came to mental health. And it was through darkness that I, that I came through the other side. And I remember saying to my friends, my soul is dying. And it seems so dramatic. Now, when I say it, um, I laugh a little bit, but at the time it was very grave. It was very serious. It's a good word. That spiritual sickness that you said is it's a good word. And I, 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 I personally, in my opinion, I feel that you are probably much better at your job because of that, because you went through that because you, knew about that side of it where as if someone you know may if they went if they studied in a book and that was their that was their limit was the book and they didn't go outside the book and maybe experience some of these things they i feel like they're a little bit limited and you know lose some of that uh personal aspect of it yeah i mean i Thank you. That's just my opinion. I, I, I'm not. I mean, I, I think, and I, you know, that I wish I could tell you that was the only time in my life that I've had like these dark, you know, cavernous times. Right. But what's always gotten me through them um, is I have a capacity for tolerating the pain and knowing that every crisis ends, you know, even when I sit with kids and I'm really uncomfortable and I'll tell you what, sometimes sitting in therapy and watching someone weep, it's really heartbreakingly uncomfortable but i know that that's the way to the other side so what is I'll, it that you yeah. do tell the, the kids or can you give us some of the tips that you bestow on them what they can do to to help sit with these emotions and to overcome well, things i'm always glad when they're willing to tell me you know that they're in this dark place and i acknowledge it you know you got to take really good care of your body when you're in the middle of this dark place. And so I always start with that of like, Hey, did you shower today? And I know this sounds like really crazy, but I've met kids who haven't showered in weeks, um, teenagers who haven't showered in weeks. So you both have children. So you know what that's like. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you the truth on a normal day for my 10 year old daughter. And I would think that that would be something that she would be really wanting to do, but she like up until like the last year or so, it's like, you know, you got to kind of coax them to get, to get to that point and, and yeah. self and, and in self-care, like I look, that is, that is something that we all deal with, with depression. I've, I've lived through that self-care part of it where I don't shower for days, Like you don't even want to get out of bed at times. So I, I totally can relate to that, but it's, it's, I didn't it's, realize that it was so prevalent with these kids though. Well, it's a symptom, right? It's kind right. of like, and I say this to kids, there's no shame in it. It's like, if I had a sore throat right now, I might've talked too much. I might have allergies or I might have COVID or strep throat, but like, it's just a symptom. There's no shame. It's a sore throat, right? Like, so I'm going to go to the doctor. I'm going to figure out which one it is, right? Not taking care of your body is the best way to make sure you feel like shit tomorrow though. So I always start with kids about like, I want you to take a shower. I want you to eat a little something. And I don't tell them to eat something healthy, by the way, because like when you feel like crap, you don't want to eat something healthy. But I talk to them about eat something that appeals to you right now, just a little bit. Make sure you're drinking enough water. And with water, I literally tell them I want them at least 64 ounces a day. That's the minimum I'm willing to accept with a kid who's going through an adult who's going through depression and anxiety. I also tell them how important sleep hygiene is. And I, I, now what's hard is sleep is another symptom, right? Just like we talked about that sore throat. We talked about ADLs, um, not putting on clean clothes, but these are all things that 
that's part of the problem of these are symptoms you're going to have that you can combat with a decision ahead of time the night before you're setting out some clean clothes you're going to take a shower you're going to wear your favorite jammies um or like what i do i wear jim's um big comfy shirts because they make me feel loved when i'm feeling really sad you know and i have like a self-care recipe card any client that's had me in the last 25 years has a recipe card of like what makes you feel good because it's a little bit different for everyone right and just like so kids don't know this. I have to like actually bring out a recipe card. So for someone under the age 25, that's an index card. And it has like the name on it of what you're cooking and then what you include in the ingredients. So I say to kids, cause they don't know this cause they get it off the internet and Pinterest. I'm like, so what we're cooking is your improved mood or, or great idea. Feeling better. That is awesome. You should put together like a, a like a cookbook. You know what I mean? Right. Like that. That's an right. awesome idea. I like that. Well, and a lot. so, and, and a few, a few weeks ago, I actually met a client that I treated at the beginning of my career and she came back into therapy. She didn't realize it was me because I, I recently, well, five years ago, I went through divorce and I changed my name back to my maiden name. And she came into the therapy room. She's like, Oh my God. And she goes through her purse and she has the recipe card of what she's been doing her entire life. And it works you know, but, um, but we start with the body, right? We start with, because the body is something we can actually control, believe it or not, our feelings, our thoughts, they take a little more work. Um, and then I also talk to kids about what do people who love you say to you? What do they like about you? And I put that on the back of the recipe card, because when you're feeling yucky, you forget what's likable about you. You forget, you don't even know what you like about yourself anymore, right? So there's a list of things that other people like about me on the back of my recipe card. Like my mom thinks that, um, this is silly. My mom thinks that I have like this really goofy laugh. So um, I put it on there. And every time I read it, I'm like, okay, she thinks I have a goofy laugh. I had a kid once tell me that I have the softest hands ever. He was holding my hand. I put that on the back of the card because that's like a really nice compliment. He's like, oh my God, your hands are so soft. I'm like, so I have this recipe card and um, everybody who sees me for therapy gets to make a recipe card with me. And the people who love them get to add things on the back that they think about them that are nice. So that, so that when you're feeling negative, you can look at those things and say, these are the things people like about me. These are the qualities I have that are resilient. Okay. And that I, so then I'm helping people think about positive things, right? Um, you know, on my recipe card, we didn't talk about this earlier, but I have a few songs that I really like when I'm sad. Um, and that make me think of Jim in particular and help me out when Jim and I are apart and I listen to it on repeat, right? Um, it's not Madonna, Tim, it's actually Brandy Carlisle, the story. Um, I just listen to it on repeat until <laughs> I'm smiling. Um, so, so there's the recipe card for self-care. Nowhere on anyone's recipe card should there be TV, internet. I like TikTok. I told you before, I can fall into a golden retriever TikTok hole and be there for hours, but that doesn't make me feel better. Also on my card is going for a walk, you know, um, and being outside um, and reading a book. Reading books for me are a way from my imagination to take me away from what I'm thinking about, even if it's the saddest book in the world, which I just read like the best book, but it made me weep and weep and weep. I wasn't crying for me. I was crying for someone else. And that actually felt a little bit better, you know? So um, your recipe card, you've got to know how to make you happy and what is involved in that and keep it on you. Just like my client who made me feel really special and loved um, by reproducing it. So yeah, that's, that's, that's the Laura DiPolito soapbox. I like that. You can always add to that card as well. Right. I mean, 
you know, you carry it with you and you can add to it. And, you know, it would be cool to like have like a, a recipe exchange, you know, and get with a group of people and, you know, maybe try and say something nice that they can add on to theirs and they can say something nice and you can add on to your, onto yours and like trade recipes. I, well, that's that's, a, I, it, it's, a, it's a brilliant idea. It really, so, I love it. Thank you. I'm going to tell Jim, you said it was brilliant actually. Thank you. So um, with little kids, because writing is hard, um, what I do instead of a recipe, uh, uh, we have like a big piece of paper and we cut out and paste pictures of things that they do that make them feel good. Okay. Cause I want them to own it and have a sense visual, of visual. Yeah. Visual. Yeah. Is that, too, that's yeah. sort of like a vision board too, really. It, it has that it other, is. it has that other effect for them too. Yeah. It might inspire that imagination. Yeah. And then, um, I make my adult children do this still. They really hate it. We play the passing compliments game where we take a ball and um, when you give the compliment, you make eye contact with the person, you say what you like about them. When they catch the ball, they say thank you and they have to hold it for a minute against their heart. Now, this sounds corny, okay? This sounds really corny, but the other day I had a group of kids doing this for a few years and then I didn't see those kids for a while. And they were um, last year in-person learning when not everybody was in-person learning. And I walked by a room and they were middle schoolers sitting in a circle, passing a tennis ball and holding the tennis ball against their hearts and closing their eyes. And I'm like, all right, so these things sound corny and they sound hokey, but I think the cornier and the more authentic, I mean, you can't BS, okay? You can't say like, I like your eyes if you don't like their eyes. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I also talk about, are you on the boat? Is it a surface? Are you on the surface of the ocean? Are you going to dig deep and go underwater with me and tell me something you really like about me? That's not just like how I look, like I want you in the ocean is what I tell the kids. And here were like these little kids able to say things like, I really like how I feel when we eat breakfast together. Cause you make me feel heard. And I'm like, love you. If littles can do this, grownups can do this. And we stop doing this with each other. We've stopped giving each other in the ocean compliments, digging deep, going below the surface. And this is because we've got our phones in our hands. That's a big part of every relationship that I see is that we just surface things. We we only go over surface answers. We only look at the top part of it. We're not looking at what's really causing issues to happen. Do you think that that's actually a symptom of our society or do you believe that it's the fact that in reality, most of us are afraid to look at ourselves and we would rather be distracted from reality than actually taking part in reality? Because I was going to ask you what you think. And then you told me, yeah, I was going to give you a therapist answer. Like, well, what do you think? Well, um, <laughs> Like I don't want to, I don't want you, I don't want you to be my, I don't want you to give me a therapist answer. I actually want a Laura answer. You are more than the therapist. You are still Laura. You're still Laura D the person that has her, her stuff that she brings to the table. So, and obviously your work has affected that and how you've gone through the world. So it's, it's interesting. I think, I think shame is even bigger than fear. Do you think there's some shame that they bring into the game because oh, of because of mistakes that they've made in their life or choices and and uh, and yeah. me feeling less than and I think parents I think all parents at some point will parent from a place of guilt which by the way try not to do that because I've never seen a parent do that and be successful and I say this to parents like all the time like you got to let that shit go because it's not serving anyone it's not serving you and it's certainly not serving your kids 
you know, um, it's enabling behavior usually. Um, but I, I think that what's happening in our society is we're so cut off from ourselves. Right. And I don't, you know, I've met 50 year olds who are still pretty cut off from themselves that are using drugs and alcohol at a rate that I'm appalled by. Um, they're not going to the level of addiction, but I'm being really frank with you that like, if you come home from work and you have to have a few glasses of wine before you have dinner with your kids, where are you at? when you're having dinner with your kids, if you're even sitting down to have dinner with your kids anymore, which I don't see people doing as much. Um, and that, that, so if you're disconnected from yourself, how are you available to model what it means to be? And you're saying to be a man, I've been thinking a lot about this lately because I live with um, men. Jim has a 17 year old. He has a 22 year old. I have a 21 year old. Um, they're all men. My daughter moved to California, leaving me alone with this testosterone bath going on in this house. Um, it's disgusting. I, the cleaning that I have to do. I don't even want to tell you about the smells. Um, but I already know the smells. <laughs> Like, what does it mean to be male? What does it mean to be a man? Um, I'm watching my son grow into someone that I'm super proud of. He's a fireman, volunteer fireman. He works, he drives a truck, he wears a cowboy hat, he hunts, right? Um, but like, what does that mean to about the little boy that like tonight before he went out and he won't listen to this so I can say it, I can wrap my arms around him, put my head on his chest and listen to his heartbeat. And, and I can ask him tender questions, like how are you balancing that? Um, that all that other stuff with letting your mama hug you and, and, and talk to you about your feelings. Um, so I, I think we aren't doing a great job as grownups. And then we are wondering why our kids are floundering. Like, look in folks, you know, and, and acknowledge that it's messy and say to the kids, like I've had days where I've said to kids, you know, we started this and you asked, how do I do it? I have days where I'm not doing so well. Wednesday was actually one of those days. I had my booster shot for the COVID vaccine and I didn't want to cancel my therapy appointments. So I just started all of them by going, listen, I'm really tired. And I was like sitting back. I usually lean forward. I usually sit crisscross applesauce. I'm like, I'm really tired. I'm listening. And a few of them was like, this is weird. Like you're not even here. And I'm like, I know, but I didn't want you to take it personal. Like I'm here, but like they pick up on this stuff. Right. And they're learning how to be human from us. So I modeled for them. You still show up right? I modeled for them. You can own it. I felt yucky. I think I looked yucky. Honestly, one of the kids asked me a question that revealed to me that I might've looked possibly altered by his question. He was like, do you use marijuana? I'm like, never. Oh my God. And then I was like, oh, I look that <laughs> tired that he's seen adults who use marijuana. Right. Um, but you got to show up with your kids and be willing to get in the mud with them and go, yeah, I'm having a crappy day too. This is what happened to me. This is how I'm coping with it. How are you coping with it? You know, my son, my favorite way to cope with things when he was little would be to go for walks in the woods um, together on weekends. And when he was in middle school, he knew that I had a hard job. Um, I was working at the high at a high school that was having a suicide contagion at the time. And you know, he knew I was sad and I would just say to him, mama's feeling sad. So we're going to go out and we're going to breathe the air together. And, and he would do that with me. And we'd come back, I'd always be better. And now lo and behold, what does he do every weekend? He goes out in the woods, right? So our kids are going to learn from us. Um, and I'm not saying I did it perfectly. And I'm not saying, you know, he's not a pain in the butt because he is, um, but he's learning how to be a human. And he learned some of it from me. He's going to learn some of it on his own journey. Um, but, you know, the phones and the computers and the technology, that's not helping us connect. And those relationships, you know, we're talking about parent-child relationships. 
to this day, I don't know if you're going to have a more intense relationship than the one you have with your parents. I just, I adore Jim. My mother and I, um, it's obviously a very different kind of relationship. We talk every single day and she can elicit a response from me that it was nothing. She, she installed the buttons, right? She can like raise an eyebrow and I can get furious. <laughs> so um, your connection with your children, this is, um, this is one of these cosmic relationships that goes generation, generation, generation. So important to be aware of and stay connected to because it's magic. Something that you said early on, which I don't even think at this point we were recording it, but you had said that you had heard um, something in the community that they were in need of, of help and you took on like a part-time job to help them and all this stuff you're talking about, you're doing with your kids. And it's, it's, I don't know the word I want to use, maybe heartwarming. It's very nice to see because you hear a lot of people that talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. To me, it's, to me, it's inspiring. It's it's inspiring. It's inspiring. I, I, it's, it's good to know it's inspiring. And I think that you're, you're making a huge difference by doing this, this stuff, because again, most people will, will complain about an issue, but won't lift a finger to do anything about it. And here you are saying that you went out and got another part-time job to help. And it just goes to show like what kind of person you are. So thank you for that, you know, from me for sure. Oh, you're super sweet. You're welcome. Thank you for acknowledging it because Jim says I'm a workaholic and it's how I self-regulate. So it's both. <laughs> well, I was going to say, yeah. does he, is he on to something there? Have he? So, yeah. Well, well, here's, yeah. well, so here, I mean, well, the thing is, is that you're smiling about it and you're saying yeah. it. So I'm assuming that you're putting your name on it. Oh yeah. You are well, a workaholic. Listen. I'm a workaholic. I mean, we haven't even talked about the fact that I'm a TCI trainer for Cornell University and that I do DOJ grant reviews. And But why I do most of this stuff, it comes from a place of like, I feel so connected to the world and I feel so connected to the community. Um, I have two therapy dogs. We're going to work the the five to 12-year-old vaccination pads this weekend um, because when I'm out connecting with other humans... I fill up my battery fills up my, my cup fills up. Right. And so that's how I fill up. And people say to me, don't you get tired? I go, yeah, I get tired too. But there is something so exciting about watching people heal about when you see the moment flip on in their heads and you know, they're on it, you know, they're going to go now you can see where they're going and it doesn't always happen. And sometimes you're just planting the seeds and watering. Right. And that, but I've seen it enough times flip on that I know to keep going. Um, and so the social workers, the people who burn out, they haven't seen it enough times. They got to stick it out is what my advice is to the young clinicians I work with. I'm like, stick it out, stay around. Don't let go of these people because these are the relationships that you're building now. You're going to see them grow and become, I, I, I walk through the community and people hug me that I was their social worker when they were little. Okay. That makes me sound really old, but they do. And that fills me up and they've got their kiddos and they're bringing their kiddos to me saying, help us figure this out. Um, so yeah, I am a little bit of a workaholic. It's how I self-regulate is I, I plug in with people. It's amazing to hear stories like yours and, and talk to people like you and, and everybody that we get to talk with that, 
we get to be a part of that for a little bit and, and, and share that with others. Because unfortunately, you're the unsung hero because nobody sees you because you're in the trenches and you're doing it. You're like walking the walk and talking the talk and and, you know, you're the one you're the one in the arena. And and oh, you sweet. and you need to well, be commended and and it's it, and it needs to be acknowledged and it's and it's well, important work and it's important work that you do because. But how I, lucky am I? I want you to think of it this way: How lucky am I that like I get to get up every day and do this for a living? Like I don't have to sell shoes. You know what I mean? Like, right, exactly. I, you get to do you know? something that actually fills your cup, which <laughs> actually is is super important in this day and age. And because so many people are fed this, this, this online bullshit life of, you know, oh, well, if you do, if you have five kids, you can have the YouTube family life and do all this other stuff. And it's, but you're out there like literally helping people like you are a healer and, and, and we need more people like yourselves and, and it's awesome. And I'm so grateful that, that you've that I've been introduced to you and that we've been introduced to you and that everybody here tonight gets to listen, gets to hear your story that doesn't know about it. You guys are super sweet. I could introduce you. I'm not that special. There's a lot of clinicians doing just this and they're smiling just as hard as I am tonight. They really yeah, but are not on, but they're not on here with us on a Friday night. So. That's no, right. I feel lucky. <laughs> I feel, I, I said to Jim, you know, this is a show where people actually want to talk to me. And he laughed. He's like, no, I know. And I'm like, no one ever wants to talk to me. They want to talk to James because Jim is creative and fun. I would come back and hang out with you guys anytime. We finish up every podcast with a set of three questions. Do you have a favorite or a least favorite word? I like the word yummy. I used it earlier. <laughs> Okay. What about what I, about a I, what about a least favorite though? You gotta have okay, a least so, favorite. So I'm female, so you know, you know the word moist. Okay. Like okay. Wow. Flowers. Okay. That's not no. That's not the first word I was thinking. I was figuring it was the other word that we would. Oh, the see you next Tuesday. Yes. You know, yeah. Yeah. I when people call me that, it's almost a compliment because I found the button. And sometimes, as a therapist, it takes a long time to find the button. But like, if I get oh, you see you next Tuesday, or my favorite, you skinny ass bitch. I'm always like, you think it's skinny? I've been working on that because I, you know, I grew up with like wanting a skinny ass. So, um, no, those words don't bother me, but I don't like moist and I like to bake. So when I'm like, is the cake dense? And when Jim ah. says back, it's moist, I'm like, mm. so, yeah. <laughs> wow. That look on your face said it all right there. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> now the, the second question I've kind of reworded a little bit because I realized that pets and animals that could be spirit animals could be separate. So I'm going to ask you, do you have a favorite pet spirit animal? Both. I, I already know sort of this, and this is a loaded question and I don't do this as a loaded question. Animals really mean a lot to me and, and animal. And I, my wife calls me Dr. Doolittle all the time because animals just tend to come up to me, which is great. I love it. So I'm curious to know what your spirit animal is and are you a cat, dog, or other person? Okay. So this is, this is going to be a longer answer than it should be, but I live with Eleanor Roosevelt, who's a 10 and a half year old therapy dog. She's a golden retriever and Truman, who is a three-year-old golden retriever. He's also a therapy dog. Love Truman. Ele I love them both <laughs> tremendously. 
Um, I think they're in trouble right now because they were giving me a lot of attention and they've since disappeared and I'm alone in the house and I'm like, oh, this is a bad sign. Um, Eleanor has repeatedly saved my life when I have been suicidal and sad and depressed. She has repeatedly saved my life. Um, I wish I could be as good as her. I don't think I am. Um, I've always identified bears. I don't know why, but I feel like black bears, like how mama bears are and how nurturing, I don't know. I feel like there's some resonance there for me with bears. So, um, I feel like if I were going to be an animal, I would be a black mama bear, like a up in the Adirondacks snuggling my cubs. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. You, you throw that vibe very well. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> That's funny. Jim probably is like, no, you're a golden retriever. So the, the last question is if there was something that you could do or that you would like to see done to mental health as a whole without any kind of restraint, what would it be? We, we need to have free services for people. Um, and particularly we, we need to have, uh, we need to cut down barriers to people getting access to treatment. So I say free, but by free, I mean, we need to get rid of all the barriers for people to access services when they need them. Um, and, and I think about right now, um, the wait lists to get into mental health counseling, the wait list to see medical provider, um, the lack of community specialists that do peds work. I've been told before I'm one of like three or four people that know how to work with preschoolers, which is ridiculous. That's ridiculous. We need more trained people. We need to get the barriers down so that people can just use it the way they use their pediatricians, their family doctors. You know, I, I, I call my doctor if I'm not feeling good after a few days. I, we should have that same flow with mental health. That's what I would change my magic wand. You know, I do psychiatric social work. That's really my specialty. And um, it, it, it's, an, uh, it's an unwelcoming field, okay? It's a hard field. So they don't pay great. And you're exposed to some really scary and sad things. And I'm gonna say this, that, you know, even psychiatrists aren't getting paid enough to do that work. Um, so I love psychiatric work. It's where my heart is. There have definitely been days where I um, have come home with bruises and human bodily fluids on me. And so, you know, when people say like, you know, why aren't there enough providers? I'm like, it's not exactly an easy job. And then you add in that people expect you to do it almost for free because, you know, it's a helping profession and you should be a giving person, right? Um, there's all these, I think there's a lot of barriers to it. And it would, it would be an interesting roundtable conversation to have with someone like Terrell, because he's got a lot of ideas about that. Um, he's, he's all about the business end. He's like, you wouldn't have to work so much if they paid better. Um, but you know, Terrell's a great businessman and a great therapist. That's not a mutually exclusive thing, by the way, that's, that's a good thing to know how to do. I'm not as good at it. I gave, I give away a lot of service. Um, but I think would, it, it, it contributes to our barriers. And, and, and that's something that like, if we want every kid to have access to understanding how to take care of themselves and have access to a therapist when they need it, the way we do to a pediatrician we got to find a way to get people to want to do this work. Cause I'll tell you, people hear about what I do for a living and not many people say the nice things you guys said. <laughs> They're not like, Oh, you're such a nice person. A lot of people are like, that's crazy. How long have you been doing that? And then when I tell them, they're like, hmm. and I, you know, a lot of people don't know how to talk to me after that. Real quick. The episode with uh, Terrell is uh, from September 2nd, 2020. I believe it's number 65. Laura, I, I so thank you so much for taking time tonight and, and I'm so grateful that we've had a chance to connect. I really am. 
Uh, well, thanks for, for listening to me. I love talking about mental health and sometime we should do an in-person dinner where we can talk to each other and experience each other's energy too. I'd like, uh, yes, we should. And that should be sooner than later because we now can, we you can know, swap recipe cards. Yeah. I would love That's to swap right. recipe cards. I love that idea. That idea is awesome. awesome. Yeah. That, uh, that oh, is so you. killer, man. That, that is was so an original killer. too. That was an original Laura. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah, you go, you. Laura. Jim, you got, Jim's got <laughs> nothing on you. <laughs> Jim who? Jim who? <laughs> well, thank you both so much for making me feel welcome and special. Uh, and thank you for doing this hard work and getting people talking about mental health. I appreciate you. Well, take care of yourselves. <laughs> this is the dark season, right? We're in the dark months. So make sure you're updating your your um, your serotonin boosts with doing good things to boost your brains, okay? You got it. See, look at that, people. Above Ground Podcast tips. You can't get these tips anywhere else. Timmy, have a great night, brother. Enjoy your weekend. Be well. Be safe. Be above. above. Bye.